Hello fellow beings, welcome to Tapasya Loading, a safe space to attempt honest, raw and authentic conversation in homage to the ancient act of stoking a sacred fire. Welcome to a somewhat special episode of Tapasya Loading. This is the second this year in 2022 and it's a solo cast. It's been a while since I've done one of those and I will admit it feels slightly uncomfortable after all the wonderful conversations I've had the chance to do these past few months with some really amazing guests. So uh, for those of you who came late, this is a podcast episode dedicated to the making of my solo piano album, my debut solo piano album, Vinette, which released a few weeks back. Now, ideally, I would have found someone to riff with, but I didn't. So I asked uh, my audiences on various online media to send me questions instead, and I'm going to try and answer these to the best of my abilities tonight and uh, share a few of my thoughts and hope it manages to bring across something meaningful. Wow, I just realised it's been almost a month since release date and uh, it's been quite interesting, um, the entire process, because honestly I hadn't really uh, planned on releasing and these songs, this body of work, something I are uh, we going to address because that's actually one of the questions that came in and um, it's been very touching and pleasantly shocking even in some ways. So um, without much further ado, let's just dive into the questions I received. Okay, here goes. Question number one, how does your constant traveling affect your music? I guess I should have seen that one coming. I'm actually not a huge fan of traveling. I don't look upon myself as a traveler per se. My home happens to be constituted of multiple geographical locations as opposed to just one. So um, I'm guessing my music is some sort of indirect representation slash reflection of the same. It is based on fundamental core components which apparently may not have a lot to do with each other and seem very different to each other. But um, in my mind, are one and the same, or at least come together to constitute a cohesive stream of thought or consciousness, which is the way I hear music. I hope that wasn't too vague an answer to that question. That's how travel affects my music, I think. Number two, did you really record the entire album on a Zoom H6. I did, indeed. Zoom, who, by the way, are also uh, kind supporters of this podcast, um, have endorsed me as an artist, something I'm extremely grateful for. Even before the pandemic hit, I was coming to a point where the screen time was really bogging me down. And the amount of time I was spending in front of a screen was... Not funny anyways, but that being said, I noticed that, you know, being my own producer and my engineer and composer slash performer comes with the heavy price of me sometimes 
struggling to focus on each specific task when I'm actually engaging in the same, in the moment. So to give you an example, I, I kept finding myself in situations where I'd be playing a take or singing a take and uh, would be distracted by uh, watching it being recorded, you know. So in a way, I was all, already starting to think about how the recording is going instead of just being in the moment and expressing myself with 100%, being in the moment, just like really giving it my 100% as a performer. I was already up ahead thinking as a producer and the mixed sound engineer about how it's going to sound eventually while also carrying baggage from how uh, my role as an engineer had been executed just a few minutes back, if I plugged everything in properly, if the signal flow was good. So I was partly in the future and partly in, in the past and really struggled to actually be where I needed to, which was in the moment, just playing and not giving a shit about if my engineering had been okay or if the recording and the production after I finished performing is going to be the way I wanted to as well. I'd be lying if I said it was just the screen which was making this happen, but it definitely was not helping. And the Zoom H6 was right up my alley as an answer for the same. So when I received it, one of the first things I loved about it was the XY stereo microphone it came with, you know. So the first thing I did, without any ambitions of actually recording a piano album per se, was just place it on the top of my piano. I just keep recording some performances. I think that's how I started off doing the first sound checks for the H6. And at some point I realized, wow, this thing sounds really good. I mean, I could actually just put these stereo recordings out and they sound legit enough. But the nerd in me wasn't happy with just that. And eventually I did have a couple of really lovely mics lying around. So I plugged them in. The Zoom H6 has uh, four other XLR or nitric inputs. So you can just plug other mics in. And before I knew it, I had a setup where uh, I had an SM7B on one side, an old um, Sennheiser M1 vintage mic, which doesn't belong to me, but it was lying around in the studio I was working in, and the stereo mics from the Zoom H6 itself. So all I had to do for, okay, I'm really nerding out here. All I had to do, was uh, just press one button and play. I feel like I should have addressed this question later on. I completely went all nerdy on that, so my apologies. Okay, question number three. Why didn't you want to release Vinet? What changed your mind? Okay. Mm, well, I have had a very difficult relationship with the piano. I almost... Um, Stop playing it. And when I say that, I probably make it sound a little more dramatic. As well. I, you know, I went to college to do a degree as a jazz pianist. Um, that was my major. And uh, as is the case with many music students who go to college, I uh, had traumatic experiences with my first teacher in college, uh, who at the same time also taught me shitloads. And we didn't part very well. It's no secret, which is why I can talk about it openly, even though I'm not going to take names. My teacher was uh, an amazing uh, technician with um, a huge palette of pianistic skills, but we did not see eye to eye on how music 
should be taught. And more importantly, um, I mean, at the time, I wasn't trying to be the smartest who tells the teacher how to teach, but I was certainly not happy in the manner I was being treated as a student. It was not working for me. It felt like double the work. Yeah, it kept it only concentrating on my weaknesses to a point where my confidence was being crushed and I ended up having multiple injuries <clears throat> and it took me a while to get over the emotional trauma of it. In fact, um, it's a constant process. It's an ongoing process which I am still working on. And it's a tricky deal because uh, this is a guy who I owe probably the biggest part of my piano, technical piano skills to as well. So... Um, yeah, that's a tricky one. And uh, so when I recorded these songs, it was primarily a form of therapy during the lockdown, as, as my press release probably makes apparent. And I didn't have any plans of releasing per se. It was only in the midst of the process where I had quite a few pieces done. I was actually in the midst of a podcast with um, my good friend Marcus Reuter, wherein we start talking about uh, some psychological aspects to recording music. And it was then that I referred to this new experiment of mine as a piano album. It kind of slipped out of my mouth, you know. I was like, wow, so that's what I'm doing. I'm recording my piano album right now. And it's only when I committed that to a public format on the record that I realized, okay, I'm going to have to see this through. Um, that being said, it wasn't the final decision. And I was still very nervous and very, I felt very exposed uh, putting this music out in the world. It's uh, probably uh, some of the most vulnerable music I've worked on. And I've written a lot of songs in the past where um, I address very personal issues, but this was a different kind of vulnerability where there was no hiding. There was, there was no, there was no editing. Well, not proper editing, not in the way we usually understand it these days anyway. And Everything you hear is played live and raw. Um, you hear every creak, you hear me breathing, you hear every little nook and cranny of the piano's insides. And in a way, and looking back now, it was just a very apt reflection of the rawness of my emotions at the point. I had no guards up, I had no walls around. And, you know, I didn't have any people around me. I hadn't touched anyone in four months. And it's like that lack of any form of visceral contact was something I was overtly trying to compensate for. Yeah, that is the reason I didn't want to release it. What changed my mind? Well, I sent demos out to some of my very esteemed and very respected colleagues, who I'd probably rather not name, because I just realized I never asked their permission. But these are musicians... I hold in very, very high esteem, and rightfully so. They uh, were very encouraging. Not just encouraging, insistent even, that I do go ahead and release this music. Um, it's one thing to have blind emotional support from people who just support emotionally, no matter what. But for artists, that's not enough sometimes. And I needed these people to give me some... Mm, objective reasons as well with the overall mechanics in, of the manner in which this album was recorded to convince me that they're not just bullshitting me or I wasn't bullshitting myself more importantly and uh, that is what changed my mind 
Okay, let's move on to question number four. Wow, I'm at 20 minutes already. Um, will there be live performances of Vinette in the future? I'm not too enthusiastic about the idea. I don't see myself performing solo piano concerts anytime in the near future. I actually had a very brief conversation with regards to this, even though not as directly with my current mentor and professor, Dr. John Matthias, uh, whose who's music you should also check out. He's quite the iconic uh, gentleman as well. And we're currently working on a lot of research and um, uh, portfolio material. He did ask me why I'm not just you know, focusing completely on the solo piano route. Well, here's the thing. I feel like the whole reason this piano album means what it does is because it holds its ground because I'm not a pianist. Now, bear with me when I say there's a difference between playing piano and being a pianist. A pianist for me is someone whose entire musical universe revolves around the piano. And I say that with, uh, I dare say, with a great deal of awareness, because the piano is actually the kind of instrument which is all-encompassing and completely capable of being an entire and only universe for a musician. For me, it's, mm, I almost said it's not been enough, but that would come out wrong it's not the piano that's not enough i'm i'm not pianist enough to dedicate my entire life to just playing piano there are too many other things i'm interested in singing playing bass producing making beats and that's one of the biggest struggles i've had with most of my piano teachers who kept insisting i should focus more on being a pianist when i've always had a different relationship with the instrument it's been yeah me and my me and the piano we have our own thing and uh, we're both a little resistant to the usual labels that kind of get slapped onto the stereotypical images of what a pianist is supposed to be like. But that being said, I'm not the kind of type who I'm not the type who has the specific kind of energy who's who can just kind of go out and prove to the world that this is the way I play piano, take it or leave it. And I, I'm not quite sure why. That's just the way it is. And it's the overall the whole musical palette I bring with me. I play piano the way I do because I hear something more than just a piano. I'm, I'm, I'm listening to all the things I'm not doing when I'm playing piano, which makes me play the way I do. And... Um, if you have no clue about the stuff I just rambled, I would totally get it. I'm not sure I even know what I just talked about. So to answer your question, though, um, I, I don't see myself going on tour or playing concert series of solo piano concerts. That being said, I am working on a solo set for a while, on an acoustic set where I just sing and play piano. And I have given, uh, I think I might include a few pieces from Vinette into that as well. Who did the artwork for Vinette? Yours truly. Um, I had been taking photos of the studio I'd been working in for years, for a while, because some of these pianos I got to work with were just really beautiful. And pianos, you know, 
I don't know about you, but I'm not a huge fan of brand new glossy uh, chic pianos. That's those are not the kind of pianos. I mean, I like pianos which are a little older, a little quirkier, come a little character, and yeah, those are the ones I've always loved. Um, and the ones I had in the studio mine were very close to those. So I'd keep taking photographs of them. It's a bit of a love affair. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so um, I just took one of these and uh, um, tried out a few combinations, slapped them onto Canva, which is a great resource for independent artists and musicians, I think, for doing artwork, because uh, it just formats everything for you. And I tried a few combinations out, did a bit of a poll on social media, did two versions, one of them was colour, the other one was black and white. And Personally, I actually preferred the black and white one, but um, the audiences and the listeners uh, preferred the coloured version. We went with colour. I'll say we there. How has it been going back to an independent release after being signed to a label? Hmm. It's been alright. It's been okay. It felt really nice to have been signed to a label. That being said, um, your role as an artist and your to-do list after each release doesn't really increase or decrease much, signed to label or not. Now, a bit of additional support and a little bit of community I had with the roster and from my label manager, who was a super cool dude. Something I do miss a bit, and it was nice uh, to have been part of a family. Uh, shout out to my ex-label. They were very good to me, actually. Uh, Circulate Music, based in California. I hope they're doing okay. Uh, in fact, I sent my uh, ex-label manager a copy of his album, and he said some very kind words about it as well. Eventually, just to set the record straight, their artist development section, which I was a part of, shut down post-pandemic. So uh, we did part ways. And it's been um, a mixed bag of emotions. I did feel sad not being part of their family. But in a way, it also did give me a certain degree of freedom, which I had been missing for a while. Because, well, there were always specific strategies and always a lot of negotiation. Not a lot, and, a lot of negotiations, but we did have a longer uh, timeline for each release. I learned crap loads from them. Um, but I was also happy to just have, you know, just kind of go ahead with the release and do it on my own terms without worrying too much about anyone's approval per se. Yeah, that, that's about it. Where are your roots as a pianist? If I were to boil it down to one word, it would probably boil down to jazz, believe it or not. The bulk of my musical grammar does lie in jazz. Um, even though I started off taking um, classical piano lessons, like most beginners do, especially in the era I grew up and you didn't really have jazz piano tutors for complete beginners. Back in the day, you always started off playing classical piano. But my primary bulk, um, my headspace, does come from jazz. But to a point where a lot of my jazz uh, favourites, my favourite pianists, which is a continuation of this question in a bit, by the way, I do have um, roots in classical music too. And that being said, the piano in itself can't really be 
played completely devoid of any classical influences. The piano is a really fucking old instrument. It comes with generations of history and it's survived and been through so many musical areas. It's not even possible to keep track. It did start off as part of European classical heritage. So there's no getting away from that completely. You know, it's always, it'll always be a part of where it comes from. And as a result, my roots in the same instrument can't not have anything to do with it. Um, it's been interesting also to observe how my albums uh, slipped into a category of neoclassical. Mm, um, it's a strange zone to be in. I've never thought of myself as a neoclassical musician per se at all. But uh, that is apparently, well, general consensus is that is what this genre qualifies itself to be. Um, I'm all right with that. Um, the semantics don't play a, a very important role for me personally. I, I think people can call my music whatever they want at this point, as long as they feel it gives something meaningful to their life. My favorite pianists, if off the top of my head, uh, top two would be Herbie Hancock and Lyle Mays. Those are my two very first picks. Uh, close to them uh, are George Duke, who, although for me he's not just a pianist, but he's also one of my favorite keyboard players and producers. But if we talk just acoustic piano, it will be those two guys, Herbie Hancock and Lyle Mays, followed closely by George Duke and Thelonious Monk. That's another, those are the people. I'm thinking of other influences. Yeah, no, I mean, needless to say, I've did, done my best to study all the masters to various degrees of depth and extent. Um, Bill Evans, um, Art Tater, Oscar Peterson. But when I say study, and really mean study as part of my college education. Um, McCoy Tyner, though, another guy who's very important in my piano uh, history. The influences of none of these pianists are probably very apparent to hear in the music I play because it's one thing to love someone else. It's another to try and be them. And I'm, I've never attempted to be any of these guys because, uh, one, I don't think I ever had a degree of self-esteem as a pianist to even try to think of myself anywhere close to being in their league. And secondly... That kind of defeats the whole point, I feel. Because if I'm not mistaken, each of these masters are masters because they stayed themselves. And um, that is often easier said than done. How were the songs composed? Well, there are three pieces which were improvised completely. Um, and the rest of the pieces, some were uh, composed. Some of them are even older actually but it's you see I'm, I'm not the kind of pianist who writes down a piece and you know writes it down on a sheet of paper and then kind of just plays exactly what's on the note so uh, that that's probably one of the reasons I say my roots lie more in jazz than they do in classical because what I do is I figure out a basic form of a composition 
Um, and in this case, I had the chance to take a lot more liberty since it was just on me, so I could be way more elastic with the time. But even though I had a basic sketch of these compositions, uh, to varying degrees, at least 50% of what I've played, I hope I'm not uh, bullshitting myself here, but I'm at least, okay, at least 40% of what I do on the pieces are improvised. So yeah, that's how these songs were composed. What does Every Now Here stand for? Every Now Here is my moniker since 2017, I think. It's a reference to the time-space paradigm. So you can actually call it Every Now Here or Every Nowhere, depending on whichever way you prefer to look at it. I call it Every Now Here these days, mostly because um, it... Mm, I guess it refers to every single moment in time we're here and our relationship with the same. Are you a singer or an instrumentalist first? Ooh, that's a tricky one. I remember Chet Baker once saying, another one of my uh, uh, bigger musical influences, uh, saying uh, he could never make a call on whether he was a trumpet player who sang or a singer who played trumpet. And um, now there's another problem I would have liked to have had. I love trumpet too, but uh, well, I'm I'm gonna switch the trumpet label with piano and go with yeah. It's I don't know if I'm a singer who plays piano or a pianist who sings, but um, honestly, there's something about singing which is just so. Primal. I was about to say, I, 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 I don't think I could not sing. I've been singing since I can never remember. My mum says I used to hum all day long from the moment I had a voice. And um, I actually take my singing pretty seriously, a lot more seriously than most people would uh, realise. Uh, but my approach to it is just not that of a conventional singer who, whose life revolves around being a vocalist. For me, it's always about figuring out a way how the voice fits in to the overall context. It's one of those conundrums. I don't think I've figured this one out. I am as much an instrumentalist at heart as I am a singer and vice versa. And I've had this conversation with quite a few people, actually, who uh, some of whom insist it's not the same. You kind of have to choose a camp. Well, I'm going to have to refute on that. I'm going to stay in both camps. What's the first thing you do to settle into a songwriting session? Is there an essential tool to your process? Something you'd be lost without in a studio setting? That's, that's a good one. It's making me think. It's, um... So here's the thing. I used to have a whole bunch of rituals I used to practice and I've gone through multiple... Um, combinations and permutations of rituals which I thought would help. Some some examples are the same would be yoga, for example, meditation. I know that, that sounds, well, slightly cheesy to be honest, but for the longest time I used to think of the songwriting process or any creative process per se, something I had to prepare myself for and kind of clean my energetic being out for before I head in which in itself is um, not a not the 
worst space to be in and it's not the worst philosophy in life except at some point it uh, eventually start to feel like a bit of a trap wherein um, you know the very tools which were supposed to be an aid to freedom start to feel like a crutch not bear with when i say that that might sound a little weird but um i in its most extreme form i find myself freaking out or just kind of spiraling just cuz i hadn't done a certain meditation before a songwriting session or i'd constantly be asking myself if i'm in the zone enough or not it's ridiculous it's ridiculous uh, cuz the whole point of using a tool to get into the zone backfiring cuz you don't think you're not you, you you're uh, using that tool well enough was just another trap and um it's it's one of those things where you realize that you know every, every tool in life or any um, any approaches to problem solving uh, are never um permanent in my experience you know there is no permanent solution to a problem because problems aren't permanent either you know they keep changing so the solutions to the same keep changing as well and that being said i don't look at songwriting as a problem per se either but writer's block or creativity blocks can be looked upon as such even though and this is where i come to my point you realize that creativity doesn't exist without the null that's the conclusion i came with so eventually one i embraced the null and secondly i realized you know wherever the zone may be i was tired of being in temporary states of the zone and i would prefer to figure out a lifestyle where being in the zone is this byproduct of the same as opposed to um figuring out a way to get in only be in the zone the whole time now don't get me wrong please don't let me give you the idea that i'm there already it's a constant work in progress but at least from the philosophical point of view once i made that call to use that as my general overall philosophy things really eased out a lot because i realized um even something like yoga or meditation can have the effect of a quick fix in certain cases or on worse um just completely backfire so what it usually what it eventually did was make me take a really long and hard look at my life live my day and also take a good look at you know how music fits in there and vice versa yeah so to answer your question um astro uh, all things considered no i don't have one i don't have a specific ritual i have to do before a songwriting session i the way i look at it a songwriting or create you know any com- compositional session as much as i love immersive extended experiences it's i don't look at it it's more than an experience for me at this point it's um, yeah, songwriting or creativity at this point is just a byproduct of the life i lead and i know that sounds very high-handed but that's where i'm at what do you mean when you refer to the colonial hangover around the piano okay this is going to be a big one to unpack needless to say i don't think i'll be able to answer this question without getting slightly political 
or at least, you know, giving it a sociocultural context. I'm of South Asian ancestry. My parents were born in what's now Bangladesh, but are Indian citizens now. I'm German, but also consider London my childhood hometown. Why am I saying all of this? So basically, I spent my formative years growing up in four countries, and um, I came back to my ancestral country as a pre-adolescent. And the only piano I had at the time was one my parents got for me from London. So that piano, which is delightfully defunct and um, lies in a rather neglected corner of my parents' living room, unfortunately, uh, is the only tangible remnant I have of my childhood in London. And uh, for me personally, that's that's been quite an interesting backdrop to the entire story because when I started learning piano here it was in hindsight I realized that in a country like India for example I can't speak for South Asia now that would be presumptuous of me but the piano is a very elitist instrument in this country because let me give you a tiny little example okay I'm this I'm just gonna I I came back to uh, India for after 20 years to spend longer spells here due to the COVID um, until last year, I, I used to be here two or three times a year in India and just spend a few weeks and, and then go back to Europe and juggle the rest of my bases there. And since the COVID and uh, travel uh, restrictions, what I've done is started spending longer spells here instead since frequent travel is not the option it used to be. So one of the first things I did here was buy myself uh, some equipment. I got some of my keyboards over from Germany as well. Thank you, Nord, by the way, for endorsing me, this wonderful company. Just plugging in, uh, then plugging them in here. No idea why I did that. Um, and the, actually, I do know why I did that, because I, just being here in India for the past two months has been a stark reminder of what a privilege that actually is. Uh, being an endorsing artist for an, a company like Nord, which are practically, which are v not affordable instruments in a country like India due to taxes and a bunch of other reasons. And the same applies for pianos. Mm, I left a piano full of pianos, excuse me, I left a building full of pianos to come back here and uh, after I had a basic studio set up, the first thing I want to do was get myself an acoustic piano, right? Because, you know, I'm used to having, like, I don't know, 50 in a building at my disposal. So I thought I could, you know, the least I need was at least one. So off I go to the closest piano store and think, oh, I think I'll just order this one and, you know, have it delivered next week. Turns out that the prices for even a pretty crappy mid-range piano here in this country is still the kind of thing only a very elitist upper middle class citizen in this country can afford. I had to go back and do accounts to see if it was worth it. And it was a slap in the face because I've spent over a decade working as a music teacher. I was tenured as a music teacher for the city council, for the government in Germany. And uh, one of my areas of specialization was to work with underprivileged children, children of immigrant backgrounds, children of, um, which is still a thing in Germany. Um, uh, it's not even a very politically correct term, actually, in hindsight. But yeah, that's what they're still called, children of immigrant backgrounds. Um, I come from lower income families, lower income neighborhoods. And the thing is, in Germany, 
for better or for worse, or in most of Europe, no matter what your financial background is, having access to musical instruments, including a piano, is not a luxury. Every school will have practice rooms. Every city will have some music school where you can just go in and practice on a piano. So a lot of these kids wouldn't afford a piano at home, but they'd buy a cheap keyboard or just practice at school. But the kind of gatekeeping that's involved with an instrument like the piano in India was a slap in the face for me after being away for 22 years, in spite of the high-income groups prevalent in this country and the amount of wealth going around. It is like like a minuscule microscopic portion of the overall population which still has access to a piano education here. And part of the problem here is the association with the instrument. The piano has been in India for over 200 years now. I think, I think I'm, because it was a British colony for 200 years. So unfortunately, the associations, the general population in this country has are still of, of, of a very colonial nature. The piano, in spite of being here this long, hasn't really integrated itself to a point where it's considered to be an Indian instrument. Now, I know I said something very controversial there, but... Even if it's not Indian, no, needless to say, everyone knows the piano didn't come from India. But it is something that has been called the mother of music. Also a controversial statement to make. But when it comes to global music, when it comes to any music that attempts to add any form of harmony, not understanding the basics of a piano is not an option. And yet here we are, in a space where that is the only option. Or to correct myself, that option is not an option. Having that option is not an option. So yeah, long story cut short, 99% and more of people in this country don't have access to a piano, forget education. And the education that is prevalent is still uh, based on some seriously backdated pedagogy. And that is what I refer to the colonial hangover involved with the piano. And uh, I'm talking loosely about this. These are my first impressions. I'm happy to be corrected with regard to the same. But... Um, it's been a very strange space to be in after working for around 15 years as a social worker teaching underprivileged kids piano and coming back to my ancestral country and realizing what a joke that is. You know, the idea of any anyone below a certain social caste in this country getting any kind of access to a legit piano education is a, a bit of a joke. I feel like a complete fool having thought about, thought of it as anything realistic. I don't know if that came out right, but yeah, that is what I meant as the colonial hangover. And most Indian pianists I have heard till now, that's another thing. Play piano as a foreign language and not as a native. And um, that's a strong opinion I just expressed there. And um, I've heard some keyboard players... um, who have Indianized keyboard instruments, which actually uh, seems to work a lot more effectively, primarily because, you know, India does have a history with keyboard instruments, the harmonium, for example. But the piano is an extremely misunderstood instrument in this country on multiple levels, sociocultural, musical, mechanical. Yeah, it's a bit of a, bit of a mess from my perspective. And uh, I'm pretty sure I stepped on some toes by expressing the opinions I just did, but hey, Get in line. <laughs>
Alright folks, that brings me to the end of the solo podcast. If you've been listening all this time, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart again for showing your support, for listening to the music. Um, this show, as always, was brought to you by my uh, academy, theholisticpiano.com. Uh, do come around and uh, uh, reach out if there's any way we can support you on your musical journey. And um, it's also sponsored by uh, my uh, freelance writing service, tlwrites.com, and uh, Every Nowhere Music Martyrs website. The album Vinette is uh, available on all streaming platforms. It'll be included on the liner notes here as well. Episode notes, excuse me. And um, go stream, listen, send, get back to me, send me your opinions, share on your social media posts. And if you really want to support me, uh, like big time, you can go buy music on Bandcamp as well, which is something a lot of my friends have done, and I'm and something I'm extremely grateful for. I think that's about it for now. Uh, now I'm gonna say good night to you. Whichever part of the world you're in, I know it's time for me to say goodnight. Thanks for listening to these ramblings and uh, I will talk to you soon. Much love. Bye-bye. Gratitude from the bottom of my heart for listening till the very end. Please consider taking a minute to subscribe to our show so you know when the next episode is out. This is a labour of love, one I hope snowballs into one that's sustainable in its attempt to support independent thought and authentic relating. And having you as a regular member of our audience is what makes that a realistic prospect. Much love and talk soon.